This week's episode is brought to you by FOCO USA. FOCO is the official face covering of the Iowa Hawkeyes, and if you've been watching Iowa football at all this year, you've seen the new Hawkeye face coverings and neck gaiters that the players and coaches have been wearing, and FOCO was even nice enough to send some out to myself and Thad, and they look great, and they're definitely the most high-quality face mask that I've had since this whole thing started, and if you wanted to grab one for yourself, feel free to head over to FOCO.com and even tell them that the All Eyes crew sent you. What's up, all of you beautiful people, and welcome back to the All Eyes Podcast. And on this episode, you know, Thad and I were kind of expecting to be recapping Iowa's bowl game and talking about some of the guys who've declared for the NFL draft and all that kind of thing. But, you know, it's 2020 or it it was 2020. And in true 2020 fashion, things didn't really go smoothly and the bowl game didn't happen after Missouri ended up pulling out last second due to COVID. And, you know, that's kind of a disappointment, disappointing thing. You know, we talked about on the last podcast that the game itself didn't really feel like the right kind of payoff for this Iowa football team. But to have no game at all, just kind of it stung a little bit more because, you know, it was back to back games where that happened. We're supposed to play Michigan, didn't get to see that Iowa team against Michigan. And then Missouri didn't get to see that Iowa team against Missouri. And now the the season's just over. (laughs) What are your thoughts on how everything went down? It was really disappointing to have the season end so anticlimactically. It just it was just over. You know, and this team had put together six straight wins, was playing better all the time. Everything about them was improving. Defensively was fantastic. Um, and that continued to build. And offensively, they were finally starting to hit their stride. We saw Petrus connect on a few deep balls. Uh, the run game was looking good. Just things were really starting to come together. And then all of a sudden, uh, no Michigan, so okay, yeah, that's you know one thing. And then to not have the bowl game at all and just have it just be like, okay, season's over. Uh, now time for players to announce, are they coming back? Are they staying? And it's just it was just over. And a season that started off, uh, you know, no season. Okay, we're going to play. Uh, two losses. Okay, we're kind of down. Oh, now it's starting to look better. And things were headed in the right direction. And to no fault of Iowa and what they had been doing, it's just over. And I'm just, it stinks as a fan, you know, because you want to watch those games. But it's, you feel for those players because they've put in so much work and uh, they were doing all the right things. We saw several of them tweet about how, you know, they did the right things. They stayed away from family over Christmas and, you know, they don't get anything to show for it. Yeah, you know, these kind of players, the players this year at every university, not just Iowa, have made some pretty crazy sacrifices. You know, I, I know some people on the Iowa football team. Well, I did. Now they're graduated and moved on. But they were staying in hotels. You know, they were basically sanctioning themselves off from their regular life just to make th- this football season happen. And what did it amount to? You know, no bowl game you know, a great season the way they played, but eight games, um, they didn't get the right payoff for the, the guys, the way they, that they played. It just, it kind of, it just stinks, you know? 
it would have been so nice to see this team for an 11 game stretch with a bowl game and maybe even a chance on you know an 11 game stretch to play in the Big Ten championship game or maybe a New Year's Six Bowl or something around those lines because it really did feel like that was the quality of this team. And, you know, to see it just amount to just nothing was kind of, you know, it, it was a really big letdown. Obviously, ending the season with a win against Wisconsin's a, you know, a, a good thing to look at. It's really nice, you know, especially when it's a blowout fashion. But, you know, the I feel like the stars aligned for this team. And it's just like, when are we going to ever, ever see, you know, that happen again? You know, we're experiencing right now with Iowa basketball where we have so many great players on that team and a national player of the year candidate that that feels like the stars are aligning there. And with Iowa football, you look at the defensive line and you see guys like Jack Heflin, Chauncey Golston, and, you know, Davion Nixon, Zach Van Valkenburg. Those four guys could be in the NFL one day and it wouldn't be a surprise to anybody. And that just feels like everything went right for this Iowa team in both sports and it would have been so cool to look back on the 2020 year. That was a complete shit show and be like, that was a really great year for Iowa athletics. This team, by the the way they were playing by the end of the year, you know, we've been watching these bowl games outside of maybe the best of the best outside of the way Alabama played outside of the way Ohio state looked, you know, this Iowa team could play with anybody we've watched this bowl season. Um, there's just no doubt in my mind because the defense was good enough to contain those type of offenses, even those high-powered offenses, like this defense could have contained them. Not saying they're going to shut them out, not saying they're going to keep them out of the end zone, but they would keep this offense in it. And we saw the offense, the way this offensive line was built, they could run the ball effectively on those teams. Uh, They were doing enough in the passing game to be productive. And it's just really too bad that we didn't get to see that um, play out and watch them play somebody from a different conference to see how it how they would look against um, kind of a neutral or non-conference opponent. And it's just, as you've said, it's just this chance to have such a special ending to the season to maybe rally eight straight wins. I mean, that has happened a very small handful of times in the program's history, and it probably would have happened had they been able to play against Michigan and had they been able to play in the bowl game against Missouri. Yeah, and you know, I'm not going to get into the whole transitive property kind of thing, but when you look at how, you know, Iowa played against Northwestern and they looked like the better team throughout the entire game. And it was just kind of some, you know, unfortunate miscues that sort of cost them in that one. And then Northwestern goes and should have probably beaten Ohio state. If they had any semblance of an offense in that second half, you know, they probably beat Ohio state. And what does Ohio state do? They take Clemson to the woodshed and Northwestern destroys Auburn. So just to put it in kind of perspective on the way Iowa was playing at the level that they were playing this season, it, it, it does feel like Iowa could compete against a lot of these teams that we're seeing, you know, even a game like Texas A&M number five, Texas A&M against UNC, you know, North Carolina was down, you know, a number of weapons in that game, their star receiver, their star running back, um, a couple offensive linemen, some defensive backs, and they almost beat number five, Texas A&M. I think Iowa is right in that kind of tier with the Notre Dames and the Texas A&Ms. And who knows if they could have beaten Ohio State with the original schedule. I I think it would have been a good game. And it's just a lot of those what ifs 
with this team because we didn't really get to get the full experience from this college football season. And that's going to be something I look back on and be like, you know, what was one of the better teams of our, our lifetime as an Iowa fan? It might've been the 2020 team. You've mentioned it several times from a talent standpoint and the way they were playing, this team could compete with the best Iowa teams of the past. And why you said you don't want to use that transitive property of, okay, this team beat this team. But what you can say is the way the defense was playing, that translates. Defensive line, being able to bring just four guys and control both run game, uh, get a pass rush, the way they were using blitz packages, the way they were bringing guys and the way the secondary was playing, like that translates. What else translates? The way the offensive line was protecting in both, both pass protection but mainly the way they could open up lanes for the running game and the way Tyler Goodson was running and the way Makai Sargent was running and the way they were utilizing, starting to utilize play action and get the tight ends or get crossers and hit the occasional maybe a deep shot to uh, Amir Smith-Marset or, or get Brandon Smith involved um, both on some of those digs and you know in the screen game. Those things translate. So while we can't say, well, they beat this team by this much, so they would have done X, Y, Z, what we can say is they would have won the line of scrimmage against nearly any team in college football. I mean, there's a very handful of teams that you can say would match Iowa on either front, let alone both fronts. And it's really too bad we didn't get to see, you know, somebody like Davion Nixon, who is a once in a decade type defensive tackle, especially defensive tackle. But the way he plays on the interior is so special. And, we, uh, I saw today on Twitter, Scott Docterman put him third in his Heisman ballot because he is was the best interior defensive lineman in the country. His tackle for loss numbers at that position, insane. And the way, even towards the end of the season, when teams were trying to scheme against him and figure ways to take him out, he still was impactful, um, still making incredible plays using his athleticism and the way his motor worked playing all of those snaps. Like, to not get to watch that one more time is something I'm going to remember. It would be like, what if we didn't get to watch AJ Epinesa in the bowl game against USC and the way he dominated coming off that edge and the way he changed the game? Like, we missed that chance against of watching Davian Nixon that one last time. Yeah, and you know, just in the in the argument of you know, Iowa competing against some of these top teams in college football this season that we're seeing in the college football playoff that we're seeing that work being considered for, you know, the college football playoff that just missed out barely. And, you know, even Iowa state, a team like Iowa state that beat Oregon pretty convincingly in a new year six bowl, just to talk about that, you know, it's not individuals that carry a team and can actually do enough to um, compete against those kind of quality of teams. It's units. And when you look at Iowa at every single unit, you know, we talked about it all year, offensive line, probably the best offensive line in the entire country, just from, uh, you know, overall each individual, just being able to do their jobs and doing it at a very high level, the defensive line, one of the better defensive lines, because there's really no hole there. And linebacker, I mean, those linebackers just kept adding throughout the season and they all could ball out. And there's even depth there, which is really weird to think about. You know, the receivers can hang with a lot of different receivers. Great tight end core, great running backs. I mean, the only position we talked about throughout the entire year having a little bit of a hiccup um, was about 
pretty much safety and quarterback. And throughout, you know, on the tail end of the season, Spencer Petras started to find a rhythm. And imagine if, you know, it's an 11 game season with a non-con schedule that kind of gets him going. and It's not right into big play, And he hits that stride a little bit sooner. What does the, you know, what does that do to the look of the passing game and our, how we reflect on it this season with that kind of talent at receiver? I mean, this, it, there really couldn't have been a weakness, you know, in a regular season on week 11, we might've been looking at this team and be like, this team has no flaws. Um, this team is almost perfection and they just need to, you know, maybe get better in certain areas, but there's really no glaring detriment to this team. And man, you watched Alabama just smoke Notre Dame's offensive line and just do everything at will. And I'm thinking the entire time I'm watching that, I'm just like, put Davion Nixon there. Watch him make a play. Watch Iowa's offensive line, you know, barrel through this Alabama defensive line. These are the kind of things that it's just, it's unfortunate that we didn't get to see the full season because Iowa and the units was just so complete. And I don't know if you can ever really, you know, get that again at at a school like Iowa, but I mean, they did it and they've had some great teams every single four years. It feels like so. You know, fingers crossed. Yeah, maybe we see some things again at at different times. But as you mentioned, to have all of those different positions and all of the different successes they had at different spots, it's it's just too bad we didn't get to watch it again because there was so much good that was happening with this team. And we got to see uh, just dominant offensive line play. We got to see dominant defensive line play. We got to see growth at linebacker. You know, all of a sudden, after that first game against Purdue, you're like, man, there's some struggles going on. And then Nick Neiman just continued to grow. We got to see uh, Seth Benson all of a sudden shine. And then, you know, adding Campbell, who just made flash play after flash play and looked like the next all Big Ten <laughs> linebacker for Iowa. It's just really, I just keep saying it's unfortunate we didn't get to see it unfold at the end of the year and say, like, hey, here's the finished product of this 2020 team, and here's what they could accomplish. Um, But at the same time, I said at the beginning of the year, we at least got to see this team play eight games. And in early September, we didn't know if that would be the case at all. So you have those disappointments of, well, what if? But when it's all said and done, you know, eight games, you can play the what if. I I think back to, you know, we got to see this – this Northwestern defense enough. And what if in game two, that's not game two for Spencer Petras and he doesn't have those three interceptions in one half. And I think mentally that just really got to him. He got, you could just see it the next couple games. He was gun shy. He wasn't as confident in certain reads and certain decisions. And we saw Northwestern do that to nearly everybody this year. I mean, watch what they did to Justin Fields in the first half of that big 10 championship game. I mean, compare that Justin Fields to the one, that just went and absolutely destroyed Clemson and really look at him the rest of the season. So what if he doesn't have that game where, you know, in the first half, his numbers were pretty good. And then that second half, it all kind of fell apart and it probably took another four or five games for that, for a young quarterback to kind of get over that mental hurdle from that game. So that's another big, like, well, what if that happens or what if that's a a game at a different point in the season? But at least we got to watch this team. We got to watch them grow. We got to see a lot of players shine um, in new roles. And, you know, we got to watch 
probably the best defensive player in the entire country. Yeah, and I think that was the coolest thing about 2020 for me, and I think a lot of Iowa fans, just watching how the players kind of grew and had the opportunity to show that they grew in the offseason too. I mean, you know, first two games, everybody already knew that Davion Nixon had already taken the next step. You know, that was the most obvious one. But like we talked about earlier on in the podcast, and early podcasts I'm talking about, you know, Chauncey Golston hadn't put it together um, in the first, you know, four or five-week block. And then all of a sudden, he just hits this next-level stride. And what does that do? You know, instead of going out um, into the NFL draft without a season, he just put out NFL game or game tape for NFL scouts that, yeah, this guy has really put together his game. And I bet he elevated his stock, you know, infinitely. It could, if, with a good combine, you're talking about a guy who could literally sneak into the back half of the first round or early second. And that's a, <laughs> incredible to talk about when you talk about a guy like Chauncey Golston, who wasn't even initially invited to the senior bowl. You know, it, it's just those kind of things is it, were really cool to watch. I mean, obviously, Spencer Petrus is the big one. You know, he ended the season, you know, lighting the world on fire. And week two, week one, week three, even week five, it it was almost like everybody was talking about benching him um, and just saying like, oh, he doesn't have it put in Peyton Mansell or or put in, you know, whoever else that Deuce Hogan or not Peyton Mansell. That was that was last year. That's a, that's a, that's a years of the past kind of thing. But, you know, it, it's like put in the backup and see what they can do. And he just kind of proved everybody wrong. And it was just really cool to see, you know, without a season, we don't get those developmental storylines. We don't get players getting better. Nobody's boosting their draft stock. And now Davion Nixon goes from a guy who was a relative unknown nationally to being mocked at what? Six overall top five. I mean, (laughs) that doesn't happen without playing eight games. And even though it's eight games, we got to watch those kind of things happen and players just boost their national status, which is really cool. Yeah, it was it was really fun to watch those guys grow. And you mentioned Golston went from a guy who was a good run defender, you know, could contain the edge, was getting nice pressure on the quarterback to a guy that was finishing plays constantly. And when left unblocked, destroyed a few plays. And when, you know, put in those different situations was an absolute menace defensively. And with his length and athleticism and his suddenness and his, you know, technique and the way it's going to keep improving, you watch a guy who kind of came in as a secondary recruit, not, you know, not a lot about, and has just for the last couple of years blossomed into this really, really good defensive end that could do it all. And that in pa- in pass rush situations would slide inside and he was playing games with Nixon and his development and what he became uh, it's just another one of those great stories for an Iowa senior. Yeah. And, you know, when when you look back on the season, what are going to be your three main takeaways, um, you know, moving into next year's Iowa team? Um, just because there's still a lot of remaining pieces, even though they're losing a lot of guys. And there's certain guys that we thought potentially could stick around and pick that sixth year of el- eligibility or that extra fifth year of eligibility up. Um, that the NCAA was offering, but you know Jack Heflin's gone. Um, he's announced that he's going to try out the NFL draft waters. Um, but and Davion Nixon's gone too. Alaric uh, Jackson's obviously gone. Sean Byers gone. There's a lot of guys that are leaving, but 
you know, Tyler Linderbaum's coming back. Tyler Goodson's coming back. Spencer Petras is going into year two as a starter, you know, presumptively. Um, Jack Campbell in year two as a starter. There's a lot of pieces that are coming back that were really high-impact guys. So moving into next season, you know, who are the guys who are going to be carrying this team? Who are the guys that are going to be taking the biggest leaps and sort of, you know, keeping Iowa on track to win, you know, or be as good as, you know, this year's team? Yeah, and you know, you're not going to replace what Davion Nixon did. You're not going to find a guy like that. Just like as good as Zach Van Valkenburg was, um, he wasn't going to be A.J. Epinesa. But are, can you find enough pieces? Can you get guys to come in and, and be that story? And I think the first place I'm going to start is you look at along that offensive line. You lose Alaric Jackson as a kind of three-and-a-half, almost a four-year starter at left tackle. So what do you do there? You know, it's a situation. Does someone like uh, Mark Kallenberger, who's been – a guard, a backup, right tackle, somebody who's kind of been all over the place along this line, does he get slotted into that spot? Or somebody who's growing into his body like Jack Plum, who's this you know six foot eight guy who played tight end um, in high school that was really a kind of a pass catcher, just a lob the ball up to him, and has now gotten up to 290, 295 pounds. You know, can he continue to grow? and be that long, lengthy left tackle that can protect the quarterback's blind side. So they have some pieces that they can um, fill in. And, and I think the one thing I feel like I can trust, too, with that is they're going to find a guy who, who can play and put him in that spot. You know, maybe it's a, a, one of the young guys that, uh, that's a, one of the freshmen or sophomores that kind of comes out of nowhere, and it's like, okay, here's, here's the guy that's going to play. So I think those are the two key guys along that offensive line um, with, with losing Alaric Jackson. You need somebody to be a staple of that left tackle position. And, and I think one of those two, either one of them, uh, can win that job and be really good. And on the defensive side, I'm interested to see how somebody like Noah Shannon, who got limited roles, who had some ups and downs during the season, but does he develop into that defensive tackle disruptor? Because when he was in there, he had moments where he wasn't great. But he is a sudden player. And I remember a time where he punched a ball out for a fumble, you know, got on it. He's got some suddenness to him at, you know, 295, 300 pounds. So it's a guy that I think can come in and maybe not be, you know, a road great. Just, you know, hold the defense or hold the offensive line up and just kind of eat up blockers. But a guy that can be disruptive and get into different spots. So those are two guys along the uh, front lines that I'm really excited to see how they develop. Yeah, specifically on Noah Shannon, he's an interesting one to watch because, you know, obviously he's got he got a lot of rotation snaps and with the twos while, you know, Davion Nixon and Jack Heflin were getting rest, um, you know, the past two years. Um, but the thing with Noah Shannon is, yeah, he's very explosive and obviously he has that kind of natural leverage with being, you know, six foot or a smaller guy. But he does get um, a little bit like over top heavy sometimes when he's rushing the passer. And obviously that's not how Phil Parker likes to play his defensive tackles, even the guys who are more explosive. So one of the things to really keep an eye on with him is, you know, how measured does he get if he does get an elevated role uh, next year moving forward? Because body wise or, and play style wise, He's really different than a lot of, you know, 
the defensive tackles that have come through the Iowa system in many years. I mean, you have to really go back all the way to some a guy like Mike Daniels, who I didn't even evaluate at the time when he was at Iowa, um, you know, coherently evaluate and really break down in depthly. So I wonder how, you know, Mike Daniels kind of started when he was getting rotational reps and what he looked like. Um, you know, was he always just like the beast that he was his senior year and transitioning into the NFL? Um, I, I heard a lot of NFL scouts and um, or read a lot of reports saying that he was kind of a late bloomer at Iowa. So, you know, maybe Noah Shannon fits that kind of bill. And obviously, like you said, he's got a lot of explosiveness and he does a lot of things that defensive tackles at Iowa just don't have the capabilities of doing, but he needs to become more measured because he ran himself out a lot of run plays over the past two years. And that's something when he's in the game, I, I really notice and once he gets into the really the heap of uh, Big Ten play, um, maybe with a full season, it's either going to get exposed and he's going to get benched right away or he's going to have to, you know, he's going to start making plays and doing something that, you know, he's going to be basically forcing Phil Parker's hand into allowing a different kind of style to, um, you know, implement into the defense, I guess. Yeah, and you wonder sometimes with a young player, is he just trying to, make too much of a play you know and sometimes young guys they get in there and they're like well I want to flash I want to show the coaches what I can do and in those situations it's like well just you know do your job you know just hold your position make the play that's in front of you make the right play so somebody like that who maybe at different times does get out of position just kind of overruns things gets a little high maybe a little over anxious is it a matter of just sitting back understanding your role Hey, the coaches, we trust you. That's why you're in the game. You don't need to go out there and show us what you can do. It's about avoiding the things that make you unplayable. Yeah. You know, you just can't, you can't put yourself above, you know, the structure of a defense, you know, every single key player almost fits in like a, like a chess piece or, you know, just like a piece to a puzzle where if you do something and you're slanting in the wrong direction because you're, you're operating on a whim, you know, that works for a guy like a Troy Polamalu or an Aaron Donald, but you're not that. Okay, those are guys that are professional athletes with cerebral ability and, and veteran, you know, ex- playing experience that they can make those kinds of plays. But even those guys run themselves out of play and are serve as a detriment to their defense at times. The thing that makes those two guys special is that they're right 80% of the time and it ends up being a splash play and a momentum changer. But you can't, you know, the thing with AJ Epinesa, um, which I think is a really good example of this exact thing just from a pass rushing standpoint. You know, his freshman year, people wanted him to play every single snap because when he got in the game on third downs, it felt like every single time he was beating a tackle off the edge and, you know, racking up a sack. What they didn't see is when he played on early downs, teams are running the read option right at him and he was rarely making the play. He made, I think one play and it was an end around option and it was just kind of telegraphed. And other than that, he was getting really exposed and they just couldn't play him. You know, they opted to play, um, way lesser talents, you know, kind of like a Brady reef in that spot or, you know, whoever else it was. I can't even remember who was taking snaps away from him that on his freshman year. Do you remember? Uh, well, I think, I mean, Parker Hesse was there for a couple years, oh, yeah. um, and he, he had most of the reps those two years. But, you know, and, and by the time Parker Hesse was a senior, he was a really nice player. 
But in his early years, I mean, I think he ended up playing. Well, I remember he, he ended up playing, I want to say, as a redshirt freshman because of the Drew Ott injury. I, I feel like that put him in, and, and he was really undersized. And, you know, he was kind of the opposite of that, a guy that was less talented but just stuck to his role, and, and the coaches could play him even if he was, wasn't, didn't have the natural athletic ability of some of those guys. Um, so he was getting a lot of those reps, but it was because the coaches could trust him to make sure he was in the right spot and made the play that was in front of him. Yeah, and you know, you you don't want to be relying on backside fills from safeties or, you know, crazy reads from linebackers. You want your line on both sides of the ball, whether it's offense or defense, to clean up their front. You know, with offensive line, Kirk Ferentz has always preached, you know, we're gonna take care of the defensive line before we transition to the linebackers. You know, we're gonna basically trust our running backs to try to make a play at the second level. With the defensive line, it's similar in the sense that you know, you got to fill your lanes, do your responsibilities, then make the play. You know, you can't put your linebackers in a spot to fail. And, you know, two years ago when I was defense got in trouble, it was because, you know, the, there wasn't a lot of gap integrity with that, that unit, even though AJ Epinesa was a star and is really showing it at the NFL level right now, which is with the way he's playing. And obviously, you know, the USC games and, and those in the Nebraska games kind of stand out as just being, incredible where a guy seemingly took over but when a guy takes over in college football you see the two and a half sack line and three and a half tackles for loss those are four plays or three plays in a game with over 70 plays so there's so much wrong that you can do even if you are putting up those gaudy numbers and the thing I really liked about Davion Nixon this year is you know I thought his numbers were incredible because of how passive and how you know to the script and how in structure he was with the defense defense, you know, he wasn't pinning his ears back and half the time, you know, he, he was taking on double teams more than half the time. And the, the fact that he put up all those crazy numbers is just a testament to, if you just stick to the structure, you know, you're going to get yours, but you just can't be a liability for the defense as a whole. It was amazing for a defensive tackle like that to have those tackles for loss. But he wasn't, you know, teams were trying to run misdirection at him. They were trying to trap him at times. But he was never getting blown out of the play because, as you mentioned, he maintained his gap integrity. He played his run read first. And it wasn't just pin my ears back. I'm going to try to get by a guard one-on-one. You know, it was I'm going to meet my guy. I'm going to make my read. And then, I mean, you've mentioned it. How many times he he got a sack off of a spy or like a secondary rush where he's just holding up his man, holding up his man, taking up the running lane. And then once he sees the quarterback's eyes drop a little bit and take his eyes off of downfield, you know, boom, he's on him and it's a sack. So it was that type of play that makes it jump off as it's not just a guy that's going to make one or two splash plays in a game. It's a guy that is going to give you you know, a three, he's a three down defensive lineman that can do everything. He could, you know, play inside in a four, three, you could run a three, four and put him at outside and he would be a very capable rusher and an edge um, run defender from that spot. So he could play really, you know, anywhere we mentioned, you know, if they've got reps, you know, when Heflin was playing well and you think he might have some backups inside, you could put him outside in a four, three, even, and he's athletic enough to make plays. So that's the really exciting thing when you think about him as an NFL prospect 
of what he can do because he can fit anybody's scheme and be really, really successful. Yeah, and I'm glad you said it because, you know, I don't want to get this this episode in particular, you know, too NFL drafty and too, you know, project heavy. I feel like let's save that for, you know, down the road when we can get a cool guest or something on. But Davion Nixon, a guy that he really reminds me of, and this is probably so out of left field for the, what they project him as, because I imagine, you know, most people are projecting him as sort of that pin your ears back three tech in a four three at the next level. But he really reminds me of Cameron Hayward. You know, he, he's got around the 300 plus body type. Um, he's just super physical, plays inside and out, can rush off the edge, can be a really st- um, stick a guy inside and just really hold his ground. And he's very active. And he doesn't really get locked up by anybody. He's always keeping separation of some kind. And when you watch him play, you know, you add the length and the quick feet. He looks like Cameron Hayward to me. And I'm a Steelers fan. So I every single like Sunday, I'm watching that dude play. And he's I think he's one of the best defenders in the NFL period. You know, I think he's better than TJ Watt, in my personal opinion, just based on what he does snap by snap. And that's where I'm kind of seeing Davion Nixon as I want to see him on a multiple front kind of team in the NFL level because I do think he can line up as more than just a a pass rushing athletic guy inside. Um, You know, we saw it more last year on third downs. They would line him up at defensive end half the time and basically say, you know, we're going to have a package of Chauncey Golston, AJ Epinesa, Davion Nixon with Davion Nixon on the edge. And then, you know, Chauncey Golston standing up and rushing as a passer or AJ Epinesa doing that. And, I, I can't wait to see what, you know, happens during this draft cycle because he's a guy that I think is going to light up the combine and just be one of those he can't miss kind of prospects. That's what people are going to look at him. And that's awesome to think about because this is really the first year where he made a significant impact in college. What a great story, too. You think about his recruitment. Um, I was in on him. They know that there's some you know, academic concerns, but they stand by him. They've got his back. He doesn't look like he's going to qualify. He goes to Iowa Western. I feel like even late they found out that, oh, well, there is enough. You know, he could enroll at Iowa, and they choose, no, stick with the plan, go to Iowa Western. Um, You're going to be well coached. You're going to be able to play. And then, you know, to bring him into Iowa City, he picks up an Alabama offer um, and sticks with Iowa, who's been by his side even knowing he's going to go to Iowa city and take an academic red shirt, like his first year at Iowa in Iowa city for the Hawkeyes, like, Hey, you're coming here. You're not playing. You're going to, we're going to make sure academically you're on track. And then the next year he comes in and, and has some nice moments um, as a backup in rotation. And then this year, like, okay, here's your time to shine. And just was absolutely fantastic from the get go in every phase. And, to see that, to, to watch that story, a guy that goes from, you know, it's pretty well documented, struggled in school, in high school, and through elementary, had a learning disability diagnosed, got some help. And to see that story of becoming the player he is and the person he is, like what an awesome story for Iowa fans. And now, uh, you know, his life and the life of his family is going to be completely changed um, due to the hard work he's put in. Um, so just a really cool story, an excellent football player, and something that, as you said, down the road, we'll get to talk a lot more about um, to see his NFL future unfold. 
Yeah, and I think one of the cool things about the Iowa football program and how we're kind of spoiled as fans is that guys really just burst onto the scene at the school. You know, that's what it just feels like. It feels like every, you know, other year or every three years, there's just a guy that, you know, we're, we're hyped about coming into the year. We're like really excited to see him play, but then he just blows away all expectations and just does things that are remarkable. We're like, wow, you know, this is really fun. And Jack Campbell's another guy this year that kind of was like that. You know, everybody was really excited about how tall he was and how lengthy it was and how he was a great high school athlete and how he, you know, looked decent and, you know, some limited reps in the previous year. But to come on the scene and really just show some superior athleticism and some of the things that he was doing, you know, it's a remark. It, it, it's just it's really cool to see that just materialize and actually show up on the field in the first year that he's getting legitimate starting reps. And man, Tyler Goodson, you know, last year, kind of a limited role too. What does he do this year? He wins, you know, <laughs> first team all Big Ten as a running back in the Big Ten. Like, there's so many great running backs in the Big Ten, it feels like, every year. And he was the best one. I mean, yeah, it's just there's a lot of cool things with Iowa. And I feel like even next year, there's a lot of great players that are just on the edge of really blowing up and really doing really well. And a guy like Spencer Petras could have an incredible year and really just change the narrative on his Iowa legacy really quickly. You know, Tyron Tracy could do the same. Laporta could do the same. And, you know, there's probably another guy just waiting in the whims that could do the same as well. You know, I and I think that's something that I don't want Iowa fans to take for granted because that just doesn't happen at every school. You know, when there's there's roster turnover like this, teams don't do well for two more years until they can rebuild. But Iowa is already in the thick of things with the roster that they have currently, and they look like a team that can compete in the Big Ten next year, too. Before the season, how many people knew the name Monte Potabom? <laughs> you know, very, very few people, unless you maybe were from uh, Northeast Iowa, knew about him a little bit from high school or something, or, or you're just really into the depth chart and the roster and all of that. But very, very few. As somebody who follows the team really closely, you know, it wasn't until probably July that I really knew his name in terms of, okay, here's a guy that is competing for a fullback position. And probably if there was a spring depth chart might not have been at the top of the fullback position. And then all of a sudden the season starts and it's like, Whoa, okay. Like now most casual Iowa football fans know that name. So stories like that, you know, as well as guys that can come, come in and all of a sudden make their name. And as you mentioned, a couple things that like receiver, you know, that's a spot where Iowa is going to be losing two guys who are three year starters. And, does somebody like Tyrone Tracy step into a different role? You know, he he played the X uh, when Brandon Smith was hurt last year and had some really great moments, had some really great games. And so does somebody like that fill in? You know, do we see somebody who we don't know very well um, from the depth chart? Do, or do we see one of these freshman receivers? And I know we've just had other outside conversations a little bit about them, but I am... Uh, really excited for the three receivers that are coming in. Uh, you have Brody Brecht, Arlen Bruce, and Keegan Johnson. So you have three guys that really fit all three receiver positions. 
And I would not be surprised to see one or two of them have some big moments in the 2021 football season because it's, in my opinion, Iowa's best receiving core coming in as a group um, in a long, long time. It's three players who are instant impact players, can make plays. So I would not be surprised at all if we see somebody like a Keegan Johnson step onto the field right away next year or at some point next season, almost like a Tyler Goodson did, where like you know of him. He oh, the coaches talk about hey, he got a few carries early in the season. You know, it might be something like that. Like, oh, it's the first quarter and Keegan Johnson's out there. Like, this is interesting. And then by the end of the season, it's like a mainstay. And that would not surprise me at all. Um, if somebody from this group steps in and all of a sudden is a impact player because these three guys can make plays and you know where is college football and football going it's going to these spread pass heavy offenses and the way i've related it is you know the receiving core of these teams is the new it's the new three point revolution from basketball like hey it's worth more to to make a three pointer well if in um so in basketball, the big thing is points per possession. What are you getting? What's an offensive efficiency rating? Well, in football, it's uh, EPA, expected points. EP or EPA, expected point average. And the thing we know with analytics in football is, in general, the pass is worth more because you have a higher chance of getting more yards. So you have these passing offenses creating more expected points per play because of their ability to utilize these guys out space. There's just less people out wide. You know, you run the ball up the middle, you've got a defensive line, you've got linebackers, you get the ball out wide, there's a defensive back, maybe a safety somewhere, maybe a a linebacker's shifted out, but you just have more space and less defenders. So you have the opportunity for yardage. So Iowa getting these three receivers in this moment in football where receivers are more important than ever like I I just think it's such a good group to bring in and I'm so excited that I think next year we see some of it but down the road like it's exactly what you should want if you're an Iowa football fan yeah I mean you if you watched college football playoff this past weekend and you watched Ohio State Clemson it's just a different game you know Justin Fields is taking bombs 70 yards down the field almost every single possession and when they hook up, you know, those are three straight possessions of 21. Oh, you know, can Iowa's offense replicate that if they're put in that kind of hole, if they're, you know, just living on the run, those are the kind of questions you got to ask. And I know people get really upset, um, especially after the first two games, when I was throwing the ball 50 times a game and they're losing and they're losing because of turnovers and, you know, all these kinds of things. And you, and you see the rushing numbers in those two games, but you've got to be able to throw the ball. You got to be able to throw the ball downfield and you've got to somehow, you know, create explosive plays because let's face it. I mean, special teams is amazing when you can get that going. It's a game changer because it's so hard to replicate that kind of production out of that unit. But the kickoff isn't what it used to be anymore. You know, punts aren't even what they used to be anymore. It's, it's just a different kind of game. You can't have those kind of momentum shifts anymore. D'Anthony Thomas, he's not doing that in today's game because of how many touchbacks there are. And now that the, the kickoff has moved up, he's not getting opportunities to do it. So 
it becomes a thing where you have to somehow create these explosive plays if you want to compete in that top five, top six echelon of college football. You can still be a great team and be physical, but at a certain point, you've got to be able to elevate beyond that. And I do think that this Iowa team, you know, has the ability to do it. And I really thought this year's Iowa team had the ability to do it. And it really showed up at the end of the year. You know, Spencer Petras started clicking. You know, Tyler Goodson was getting involved in the passing game, not just as a running back. But then they had the complimentary running game where they were still producing. And I mean, you look at Ohio State, it's not at a Justin Fields show. You go back to the Northwestern game and um, uh, why am I blanking on the running back's name? Trey Sermon. <laughs> Trey Sermon rushes for 300 yards, averaging like 10 yards per carry. He carried him in the Northwestern game and then Justin Fields showed what happens when you get to the upper echelon of college football and you need those explosive plays. And, you know, it's it just, it's a game that, you know, we have to face it. It's adapting, it's changing. And like you said, you know, expected points per play, that's going to be more so favoring the teams that can throw it over 20 yards, you know, per play with pretty relative consistency. Yeah. And, and you talked about watching, you know, Alabama or watching Ohio state and they were balanced. So we're not saying it's a team that you want to throw it all the time. You have to have that balance, but balance isn't necessarily a, a play by play that you have to have this many runs, this many passes. It's balance in, in your offense doing what's going to be hard for the defense to defend. And I'm a guy that loves, you know, I mentioned it was so fun and exciting to see Iowa kind of get back to the bullies of the Big Ten with their physicality. But along with that, you want to have those explosive plays because it's demoralizing when all of a sudden you're bringing up eight, nine guys. They're still running it semi-effectively and then ball over the top or swing the ball out, or receiver makes the first guy miss, and he's 25 yards downfield. Like Those are, those are game-changing moments. And we've mentioned it in the past, Iowa's a team that's going to play games kind of historically in the margins. You know, this year, they averaged over 30 points a game. And that gives you a little more room for air. But a lot of these, you know, when you have these Big Ten games, so many of them are going to be one possession, or at least it's one possession at some point in the fourth quarter. So if you can make that one extra play, whether it turns a field goal into a touchdown or whether it turns a punt into a field goal, and sometimes it literally is just that one play. One guy made a defender miss, picked up an extra 20 yards, and that got the score. That that increased the expected points from maybe two points to five points, depending on where you're at on the field. And to create those and to have those is going to be so important for, you know, Iowa going forward in watching this offense continue to evolve because it has evolved in the Brian Ferentz era. You know, there are some new wrinkles to it. They are doing some things that have unique, you know, they are complex in unique ways. They're finding new ways to utilize different things. It's not just the wildcat, which was great. You know, it was very effective, but there are you know, small intricacies that are happening. And if you continue to develop the positions out wide and while maintaining that run game and the physicality, all of a sudden now you're talking about an Iowa team that is not just competing in the Big Ten West. It's competing for the Big Ten Championship. It's a team that, you know, can continue to make its name in the top 10 and top 15 of college football. 
And that's really amazing. If you, you know, there's been plenty of statistics over the last five years, six years, 10 years, the amount that Iowa, the number of wins, the number of times they're ranked in the top 25 is right up there with some of the premier names in college football. And if this goes the way I think it might, as they've increased with this uh, receiving core and bringing back guys like Tyler Goodson in this offensive line, it it's just really exciting to think about what is the future of Iowa football. Yeah, because let's face it, Iowa football is not a team that when you look at the blueprint of how you make a powerhouse in college football or just a long-term dynasty should even be in that kind of conversation, just the way they recruit, you know, just where they are geographically. But you look at the past 20 years, even going further than 20 years, this team is on the cusp of really turning a corner of just a new age implementation into a sort of a traditional way of going about an offense and just having a a great defense that has adapted so many times in the past 10 years. And they really are, I think right there knocking on the door of potentially being a mainstay in the top 10. And like you said, you just have to find a way to, you know, create more explosive plays, but maintain that balance. You know, if you're, if your identity is going to be, I want to be more physical than the other team. That's great, but you need to be able to make plays off play action. You know, you go back to the 2016 Big Ten Championship game. What's the one play from Iowa's offense that everyone remembers? Tavon Smith, C.J. Beathard, play action deep ball at the start of the drive for a touchdown that seemed like it. Iowa was about to win the Big Ten Championship. You know, that's the kind of momentum that just kind of lifts up a team. And yeah, what happened afterwards? Unfortunate, <laughs> but those are the kind of plays that people remember when you go back two years to Wisconsin, Iowa, what's the play from Iowa football on uh, on the offensive side that you remember? It's a Tyron Tracy deep post route for a 60 yard touchdown or 50 yard touchdown. You know, you have to find, you know, a way to make plays. um, If you're going to be establishing the run game just over the top and with so many like spread looks that Brian Ferentz is throwing out there now, this is a different Iowa looking team than in years past, you know, going back to the Ricky Stanzi years or, you know, even before that and um, Brad Banks era where you had t- two tight ends into pass protect and you had, you know, two running back sets with a running back staying in, you know, you have five receivers, you know, running routes on every single given play. And a lot of them are over 15 yards. And I know that people get upset when saying that, you know, Play design is putting receivers in front of the sticks on third down. But a lot of the time, that's just because they're still living. I was still living by the mantra of we're not going to try to kill our defense. We're not going to put them in a bad spot and we don't want to make a mistake on third down. And I think that's the next switch that needs to be turned off if this Iowa team is going to take the next level because you watch the Clemsons and Ohio States. Third and 11 is manageable no matter where you're at on the field. They're going to try to go for it. With Iowa, a lot of times you're going to see a QB or not QB draw, but a draw, a delay drop the middle, you know, trying to catch the defense off guard rarely ever works. And Iowa's offensive coordinator, Brian Ferentz knows that. And sometimes you're going to get, you know, a stop route for five yards, six yards, short of the sticks. And Brian Ferentz knows it's probably not going to be a conversion. I think that's the next thing that needs to go is just more aggressiveness on third down and finding ways to make third and 11 or third and 15 manageable 
or at least having the guts to try and go get it. That's an excellent point and, and something that you want to see that next step. You know, I was really happy to see Iowa was much more successful with shotgun runs this year. It was something they utilized a lot and were really successful, especially uh, with those three receiver sets. Um, you can get some numbers advantages. Uh, somebody like uh, Sean Beyer or whether it was Sam Laporta almost as an H-back, you know, you could pull him, you could uh, do like a, a trap, you could do different things with him. You know, some of the zone actions, you know, split zone, things they were getting out of shotgun runs that allow you to be creative while winning those number advantages. So that was like one small step. So as you mentioned, what's the next? Well, it's on those third and, and medium or third and long where you can trust your offensive line to hold for long enough to, to protect your quarterback and your quarterback to make a good read and a receiver to make a play. You have to win at some point. So it doesn't have to be just a deep route, but maybe it's a, a win across the field on a, a deep in or something along the sideline on, on a you know deeper whip route, something that gives those guys a chance to pick up that first down and continue that drive and not make the special teams just make a great play. And this year's special teams, once again, was fantastic. And, you know, we just found out, you know, Tory Taylor got robbed of the Heisman. Um, so that's kind of disappointing <laughs> that, that I, you know, he would have had my number one vote, but, but you don't want to have to rely on, on that level of punting all the time. So if you can pick up one or two more of those, those are again, chances to change a game by that one possession, a chance to gain momentum, a chance to make a defense have to be out there a little bit longer. And what happens in the fourth quarter if the defense has had maybe two drives that went eight plays instead of three? Well, now all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, when you're in that four-minute drill, you're winning at the line of scrimmage every time because that defense, those 10 extra plays that a defensive tackle had to chase somebody around have done have taken their toll. And now all of a sudden, you know, run play first down. Run play first down, game over. And, you know, another thing that I think you know, going for it and actually trying to get a first down on those third and tens and third and fifteens does for just the individual confidence of your offense, especially at the quarterback position where obviously he's going to be the guy making the play. You know, if you're trying to actually get that third down conversion is in those last two minute drills and fourth quarter when you're down four points or five points, you know, he, he feels like he can actually make those downfield throws and throws that he needs to make. There's a lot of times where, like, which, which game was that? Was that Purdue? I'm trying to think. Yeah, Purdue, when they had a last-second shot and they just, you know, they, they didn't get it. A lot of those throws, it just felt like it was the first time Spencer was making those throws at any point in any time whatsoever. And it just, that's what it feels like sometimes watching Iowa's offense and even past quarterbacks like C.J. Beathard or Jake Rudock. You know, when it gets down to that crunch time of, all right, you got to put it, the load on the quarterback if we're going to win this game and he's going to have to make throws. It just feels like he doesn't have the confidence to make those kinds of throws because he doesn't do it in just normal, you know, play situations where in the third, and you know, if it's the first quarter and it's third and 15, you know, that's less higher stakes and risk and pressure than fourth quarter, third and 15 with 50 seconds left and you need to convert this first down. Yeah, I mean, it's just... it. Those plays change the outcome of football games 
more than, you know, you talk about those those late game drives. Like that's the difference so often. And if you can get those reps early, maybe you eliminate the need for those. But if you do need them, you've you've prepared for them. You hey, we've run this look. Here's the look we're gonna get out of it. You know, the quarterback maybe has to make one or two reads instead of like you said, it was like, okay, I'm in this situation. Uh, first guy, I, I kind of trust you. I see a linebacker here. I maybe have you, I'm going to throw a laser and hope we can come up with a play. And that's just not going to happen with frequency. So to get those plays in over just the regular course of a game and to be willing to, to try them, um, and put additional pressure on the defense is that, as you said, that next step that can take this offense from, you know, 31, 32 points a game. To, if they're scoring 37 points, you think I was going to lose with a Phil Parker defense scoring 37 <laughs> points a game? Like, absolutely no not. way. Yeah, no way. Um, and, you know, if you want to go to the defensive side, you look at the changes he made and he updated this year. I mean, you've mentioned it. We mentioned it a ton. Like, his blitz packages and the percentage of times that he was sending extra rushers or, or rushers from different spots um, – or even early in the year when they were kind of more just passive blitzes to see how the offense would react to them. Like we've watched Phil Parker, who is one of the best defensive minds in football and not just college football in football and watch him tweak things a little bit to go from oh, Iowa's defense is really good to like, that's one of the best defenses in the country. Um, so those little tweaks can go a long way. And if it changes one or two plays over the course of a game, you know, maybe that's one or two extra wins. And I think that, you know, that's a that's a really great point. That's that's a phenomenal point, because what we're seeing on the offensive side of the ball is we're seeing, you know, the offense and Brian implement things that are definitely I would consider, you know, quote unquote, new age. And they're working with this sort of traditional looking offense at its core. Um but there's a lot of different personnel packages, a lot of different looks just from the guys that they have on the field and what they're doing. And then you look at defense and yeah, Phil Parker definitely changed his approach to defense this year, but they still keep that kind of, you know, that physical identity to them that they've always had. It just, they did some things differently in key situations and spots. And I feel like they might be finding this little inefficiency or this little pocket of, you know, attacking a market where it's, you know, weak in the sense that they still have that physicality that's getting phased out of today's game. And they're implementing new age kind of tactics with those physical guys that other teams just don't have. I mean, I was recruiting better athletes than ever before. Every college football team is recruiting better athletes than they've ever had before. But Iowa is using them in a way that other teams aren't. You know, when you look at Iowa's defense, there's no free roaming, you know, you know, safety roaming around trying to uh, make splash plays or going down to the box from the safety position. It's still their key positions and they're just executing their assignments, but with higher athletes. And it's really cool to see it because other teams really aren't doing that. They're just making new positions and trying to capitalize on a player's individual talent. Yeah. And in its ways defensively, you know, we talked about the big plays offensively, getting you extra points. Well, defensively, what's the number one most important statistic? It's turnovers, creating turnovers. I mean, if you go back, 
you could go back for as long as you want. Historically with football, teams that create turnovers tend to win games because A, you're, you're stopping the other team. You're keeping the other team from scoring. And now by getting the ball, you are giving your offense a chance to score. So by creating these blitz packages and, and mixing stuff up with those zone coverage and those concepts that Phil Parker and the Iowa defense is known for, you know, having eyes on the ball, all of a sudden now you're increasing those chances for turnovers. I mean, we saw that this year with, with interceptions, with fumbles, creating those turnovers, whether it's on, on passes or whether it's with the blitz, um, hurrying those quarterbacks. You know, one kind of common thing is, the, the sack is not, you know, a sack is a great statistic. It's it's great for the defense. It pushed the offense back. But really, it's about pressures because interceptions tend to come from pressures or hurries. Making the quarterback make a throw before he wants to throw it. And with Iowa's coverage, when you have eyes on the ball and maybe the offensive player isn't ready for it, now you're giving yourself that added advantage and chances to make that interception or maybe it's a guy has to make a catch off balance and now you create a, a fumble situation. So those small tweaks that the numbers game, the analytics side says, this is a way to increase your win probability by these small steps. You're taking the traditional Iowa package, but adding enough wrinkles of new age football that just they increase your chance of winning. And that's all it's about. And you're seeing some of that from both sides of the football and I'm interested to see how Iowa cont- continues to add those wrinkles to what is already a philosophy um, and system that works. Yeah, and it's made the transition. You know, it, it didn't just work 20 years ago. It's working now. And they've, at, like you said, they've had enough wrinkles where it's still working now. And I think that they can even elevate it further. And I think this was a really great launch pad year. Uh, for just the coaching staff and their, you know, the way they're looking at this football team and, and structures to implement in the future. You know, we saw a lot of different things from the offense and defense. And yeah, it was a short season, but there was enough games to know, you know, does this work on more than one opponent? Does this work in, with different kind of players in those spots, executing the things that are, are the wrinkle, right? And I think this coaching staff is going to keep pushing it further. I know that they're, you know, a long tenured, you know, Kirk Ferentz is the most ten- like the oldest coach in college football and Phil Parker has been there forever too. And there's a lot of mainstay pieces, but it just feels like they're adapting and they're changing and they're evolving and they're wanting to grow past, you know, they're not trapping themselves in a box that you see so many NFL coaches in particular doing where they will live and die by their system and then they'll die by their system. You know, they'll, they'll go from a great coordinator to a head coach, maybe win a Super Bowl or go, you know, do well in the playoffs and then just fall off the map because they can never evolve past it. And, you know, give it up to Kirk because, you know, so many people have wanted him fired over the years for whatever reason, but man, it, he continues to evolve and, and change the program's identity. And obviously, you know, everything that happened in this off season, there was a lot of changes you know, off the field. And I think that affected them on the field. I think that that they kept a more open mind and they're approaching this with just a different lens. And it's really cool to see just as a football fan and especially as an Iowa fan. And one place I want to tip the cap to him too, is in my opinion, where did a lot of this start? 
We saw changes to special teams four or five years ago. You know, we saw Iowa go from its traditional punt protection formations to a new formation where you have personal protectors. You have some rugby style rollout punts. You know, all of a sudden on kickoff coverage, I mean, I know the rules change, but all of a sudden you saw you didn't see them just line up, you know, five guys on each side of the kicker, you know, run their lanes. You started seeing overload a side and kick it to that side. You started seeing short high kicks, try to get it short of the goal line. You started seeing, I mean, the fakes obviously are kind of the things that splash the most. And it's like, oh, wow, you know, we saw that was Kirk 2.0 when we had uh, fake field goals, fake punts, things like that. But beyond that, just the philosophical changes of, hey, this is how we're going to protect our punter now. We're, we're going to change the way. We're going to spread guys out. We're going to roll out sometimes. We're going to do this and that. Like those changes of how we how do we do punt protection? How do we do kick coverage? Those sort of changes, in my opinion, a lot of those happened on special teams first. And it's like, well, it worked. And why, why you know, evaluate? Why are we doing what we're doing? You know, is it because, well, that's just how we do it? And are there new ways and better ways to take advantage of, whether it's taking advantage of the rules or just, you know, reevaluating what we're doing and why we're doing it? And Iowa started to make those changes, in my opinion, in special teams, and they worked. And now we're seeing some of that from offense. You know, we saw the, the Wildcat, which is not something new, but it was new to Iowa. And they added wrinkles constantly through the year. It wasn't the same guys in the backfield. It wasn't, you know, uh, always a run to this way or that way. We saw wrinkles constantly um, unfolding from that formation and that personnel package. So those wrinkles and those innovations, and not they don't need to be earth-shattering, but they need to fit your personnel and fit your program identities. And that's something that they've targeted just like with the recruiting that over the last three, four years, they've done a better job of. And that's the part, okay, what's the next evolution of that? I honestly couldn't have said it any better. And, you know, I think that that's the point we're trying to drive home with this past, you know, 10, 15 minutes of discussion. This Iowa team is on the cusp of being even more than what they are right now. And we've seen them evolve like crazy in the, just the past two years. So imagine, you know, what happens in the next two more. And it's, it's fun to talk Iowa football. Obviously it's a, it was an unfortunate end of the year, but there's still a lot to look forward to. And there's going to be a lot of breaking down from both of us um, throughout this off season as we lead into the new year. And I'm, I'm really just excited to, you know, take this next leap in the 2021. Hopefully it's a more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not as, you know, dreadful and miserable kind of year for athletics in general. Um, you know, I, maybe Iowa basketball does something incredible and they, uh, <laughs> they can maybe take home a national title question mark, maybe final four. That would be kind of awesome. We could be looking at it, you know, uh, just a whole, whole new feeling of 2021. And that's where my fingers are kind of crossed. <laughs> Winter sports. I mean, Iowa legitimately, could have the national player of the year in, in men's basketball with Luca Garza. They will probably have the, the wrestler, you know, Spencer Lee, best wrestler in the country. And, you know, they probably won't give it to a freshman, but Caitlin Clark is, yes. I mean, there was just, I think announced today. She's one of the 25 finalists for the Naismith. Like 
they possibly could have the best women's basketball player in college basketball right now, who is a freshman. Like, <laughs> it, I think just tonight she dropped another, you know, we're recording this on a Wednesday night, had another 39 tonight in, in a win. So, like, enjoy it this winter. I mean, I'm bummed that the football season ended the way it is. I'm excited that hopefully we get an actual spring and, and get some information there and can start breaking things down and we get excited for uh, former Hawkeyes that, that get that shot in the NFL as well, but get to enjoy it because right now we are in a really exciting time for Hawkeye sports. And while there's so much going on around us, like just take a moment, take a deep breath, breathe it in, you know, enjoy the Hawkeye f- sports world that we're living in right now and the excellence, both individually and team wise um, this winter and spring. Yeah. What is it? You know, I've said it, you know, a few times on the podcast, but what a great time to be an Iowa sports fan. You know, we got an, a great Iowa football season or a great football team for the season. And Iowa basketball is looking promising. You know, Caitlin Clark has been doing incredible. Iowa wrestling was looking up and it, it's just, it's a cool thing that, you know, Iowa city, Iowa is on the map nationally and just because of the university of Iowa and their athletics. And, you know, as we, you know, continue on and push forward with the podcast, you know, we'll be talking about NFL draft. Hope we get some, you know, player interviews and we're definitely going to keep throwing in some, you know, Iowa basketball things as it's, it's going to be unavoidable as Iowa fans. You know, we, we both love basketball outside of, you know, we're not just football guys, you know, centered, even though that's the, the theme of this podcast, you know, we both love Iowa basketball, um, men's and women's. We love Iowa wrestling and they're going to be in the news quite a bit. So also, this should be mentioned from our last podcast. Women do listen to this podcast, believe it or not, and they let us know. So, you know, I guess we'll see you uh, gals and guys in the next podcast and the next installment, um, whether that's next week. I imagine it's going to be next week or, you know, whenever that next one is. And, you know, we're going to keep thanking you guys for and girls for checking out the podcast every week. It's been really awesome. Yeah, the feedback we got with that was was great. It made my day. Uh, I got a great laugh, and we had a great conversation about it as well. So we do really appreciate everybody who's listening, uh, giving us feedback. Uh, we enjoy doing this, and we enjoy uh, sharing our sharing our love of, of Hawkeye football and just Hawkeye athletics in general uh, with all of you out there, you know, down the lens. So thank you very much. Uh, we're having a blast and appreciate everything that uh, the listeners are doing as well. Yep. And with that said, we will see you all in the next podcast. Take it easy.